All right, guys, welcome to the Terry Ball Tourism Podcast. Got uh, Ryan, Bob, and Dan here. We're going to do a quick intro. Oh, um, hi. Run through the, the business stuff. Uh, we got a good one coming up, though. We got Chad Stewart in the house. Chad's back as we get into deer season. Uh, we're going to talk some of the new regs and uh, some other good stuff. Probably talk CWD, some controversy for Bob. Get him fired <laughs> up. I always think his name is Chad Smith. I know him like Chad, but like... Oh, yeah, you think I, he's, I he's the Red Hot Chili Peppers yeah, drummer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. since he's a drummer from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That would be pretty cool. That would be awesome. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. So that's uh, that's coming up for you. Going to be a good episode, but we want to get the business out of the way. So, business. fishing complete. Fishing Daniel Song, take it away with fishing complete. Fish. First of all, happy birthday to Jerry Toner from Ooh, fishing complete. Yeah. Because this will be airing the day after her birthday, so hopefully she listens. Happy, happy belated. birthday, Jerry. Happy birthday, Jerry. Happy day late birthday. Mama Case, as otherwise known. Mama Case. Crazy boat driver, as otherwise known. <laughs> He's got a lot of titles, it seems. Anyway, uh, Fishing Complete Inc., uh, Home of Case Plastic, Zipper Worms, Lunch Money Tubes, the original O-Wacky Tool. It didn't work today original. for me. I'm just going to throw that out there, but nothing was working for me today. But. It's a weird bite today. Weird bite this whole week, it seems. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, use uh, the code TERRIBLE at checkout at uh, fishingcompleteinc.com. You get 20% off your order. Uh, excludes uh, RS Nets and Miller Tech batteries. I wish it worked on Miller Tech batteries. That would be cool. Those batteries are sick, but they're pretty sick. Yeah, they just did a deal on their Spro crankbaits, and I kept. I was going to order it, and then I was like, "Fuck it, I'll just stop by the shop." Um, since I'm right down the road, and then I never stopped by the shop and missed the sale. So, I wonder if he'll still give me the sale. I mean, you might get twenty percent off. Maybe I can get twenty percent <laughs> yeah. off, but I wanted twenty five. <laughs> oh, true. I wanted to double true. dip. I want to be one of those guys. One of those dudes. One of those douchers. But one of yeah. those googers. Yep, good company. Um, so we got the fall bite coming on. I know Jerry is big into the walleye bite on the river in the fall. She said that she's pretty much the only one on the river while everybody else is chasing deer. So get your plastics, get stocked up. So Yeah, we got uh, some interesting stuff coming up with uh, Danny Irvin, too. We're going to be recording some uh, some segments on uh, how to rig some uh, some lures, how to rig some tubes, how some, to rig it all. And, some, some lures. Yeah, how to do uh, some, different, some, uh, some different knots and stuff that we're going to be tying. So uh, kind of stay tuned for that. Uh, Danny and I got that in the works. It's going to be coming up in the next few weeks here. So what time you did something. I know, I know. Are you doing like video or what are you doing? Yeah, it's going to be just a video. We're going to like put ex- it on our... Explaining knots over the air. Would be yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> just just get, better, and... get better video than... The intern got because I could we couldn't use any of the shit the intern got. That's so. that's why I'm going to be handling it. So. <laughs> yeah, be better than gumbo. We need to just have Danny. Yeah. We just need to just have Danny over, and we could just do it here in the yeah. studio and where we have like better audio. Kill but. two birds with one stone. You Did go. you guys hear about Dave Omer? Did you see that uh, no. that story? The dude got stuck on Erie on in like three to five footers. In his, in his yak. I've warned him about this when he says he goes like eight miles out in his yak. Dude, he was. About this. He said he checked all the marine forecasts, uh, everything that uh, all the models and everything showed that there was going to be nothing, and then just all of a sudden, this like wall cloud of of black started rolling in, and uh, he said he doesn't doesn't know how he didn't flip his kayak. So that just goes to show you folks that uh, wear your protective gear while you're fishing. So it's yeah, pretty the, uh, pretty crazy. The, the Great Lakes can turn on you in a minute. Jeez. He said there was an occasional six, seven footer out there. And when he's on his kayak, dude, it's like, oh my goodness gracious. Out there, like Lieutenant Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Lieutenant Dan. Yeah. Ice cream. Uh, Lieutenant Dan. Ice cream. He's just yelling and screaming. Yeah. 
All right. Um, Black Pearl. Premium rubs. Rubbing butts. Rubbing butts. So Jimmy uh, just did that video on the spicy rubbing butts in the compared to the regular rubbing butts. Um, I want to try that. So I actually just texted Judy today. Um, they still don't know if they're going to do the, the spicy. They're still testing it, but she's going to send me some of it, see what I think of it. But she gave me a little sneak peek that they have another one coming out. Your wife would probably love this. Asian habanero. Mm. Ooh. Doesn't that sound good? My that does sound good. My wife's not Asian, but she likes that. She likes hot shit. <laughs> yeah. She's <laughs> Asian. She likes the hot stuff. But that sounds good. I feel like uh, that could be that could be a winner. But yeah, I had to hit her up for some more steak and brisket because I'm officially out of steak and brisket. But she said now that their steak and brisket is combined with chops and burgers, so I'm not sure how that's going to work. But they need to come up with a Cajun Creole type spice and call it gumbo. Ooh, with Jimmy's face on with it. Jimmy's, with Jimmy's <laughs> bare chest on it. Oh wouldn't, God. They wouldn't sell a single bag. No, well, or would they? <laughs> yeah, maybe they would. Or would they? Eat this, and you'll look like this guy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I didn't post it yet, but the other night I cooked uh, some venison up, and I wanted to do another test. So I did chops and burgers against their Cajun barbecue. Um, it was a little bit closer match here. Um, match. I think I think... I think Cajun might have won, actually. Cajun barbecue was really good with venison. I cooked it the same way as I cooked the garlic pepper and uh, chops and burgers. It was good. So, What would you recommend with chicken? Chicken? A lot of chicken lately. The cherry barbecue is really good with chicken. Um, The jerk would probably be good if you want some heat. The jerk is really good. Jerk is phenomenal, man. I've had that a couple times. Um, Okay, okay. What would you call me? They called you a jerk. Jerk. So check out Black Pearl a premium rubs. But yeah. Bob, what else we got? We got West Point Shores. Ooh. The West, the point. Not West. 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 West Point I Shores. I want to know where that name came from. I don't know if I ever asked Ron and Barb where it came from. I don't it was know. probably before their time. It was like Wesley Snipes, they said. Somebody misspelled it. Nobody's, <laughs> name, yeah, nobody's named Wes. That's not West. It's definitely not on the west side of the lake. It's not on the west of a point of shore. <laughs> it's not on the west point of anything. <laughs> we should probably figure that out. I'm curious. I don't know. know. We need to have them on. I need to get a hold of Heidi and Dustin and have them on. West Point Shores, where all your fishing dreams come true. Not just fishing dreams. Your dreams come true. <laughs> where all dreams come true. Yeah. Happy dreams. Home of happy dreams. Check them out. Um, We've got that fall bite coming up, and I know that um, that if you want to find vacancy this year, that's where you're going to find it. It's going to be in the fall. I think they're going to close down prior, probably. Just, maybe you can keep something open for the hunting season. but Just after deer season. But for the most part, most of the cabins will be shut down, come first freeze or so. So if you're looking to get well, the like three a, bedrooms, they've been keeping open for the winter. So okay, I'm trying to plan a trip up there with Keith Stanton. We're gonna do uh, some pike spearing. I think mm. he wanted to do some filming. We we're gonna do some do a pike spearing trip up Don't there. Don't be spearing any of them muskies in there. I'm gonna spear all the muskies. Uh, Everyone, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. there's only like four. I've caught all. Of you them. caught all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So check them out. WestPointShores.com. Um, great people. Phenomenal place. Um, what else you got? We got. A f- what do you got? Oh, what do you got? What do you got? I went fishing today. Um, it sucked. I suck as a fisherman. Bite's been tough. Dan and I went. Fi- <laughs> That's why we're terrible. Dan and I went fishing a couple days ago. The bite was 
I don't know, weird. Uh, we had, we caught soft biting. We caught two or three fish, but like lost 10. Like weird yeah. soft biting where they're just like nipping at the tail or they're just grabbing the trailer worm. I mean, I had trailer hooks on all my spinner baits and I still was losing these fucking fish. So, so we just got know. back from the Tequavadon trip and I don't even want to talk about it. No, we'll, we'll break that down in another uh, episode. Um, that's going to take more time to, to kind of tell the stories, to decipher the madness, the nonsense of that. that trip. There's good and bad with that trip, a whole lot of bad, but it, yeah, but. <laughs> So, yeah, the bite's been tough. Uh, the weather's been weird. Like, it's getting, like, today the water temps were 75, yet it's getting down in the 50s at night. It's weird. I, I did not think that the water would have been that warm, and that's what it was the other night. It was uh, 73, 72. Yeah. yeah, the air temperature is warmer. So, we were, Dan and I were dying for a topwater bite, and, and we didn't get it. So, I got one. Got one. Oh, yeah, you did get one. And right at the end, we, all of a sudden, they're hitting, like, right at the boat, scaring yeah. the shit out of us. Yeah, we're both bored and ready to go home, and then all of a sudden, I catch a fish, and we're like, well, we can't really leave now. So I, know, I was bound to determined <laughs> yeah. to catch one on top water, yeah. and then I had, like, three or four strikes right at the, right boat, at the boat, boat, maybe about shit my pants. Yeah, because so. yeah, it was just that hour to where it was just dark enough to where you could barely see, like, a foot beyond the boat. Yeah, <laughs> it like, yeah. yeah, it was pretty crazy. So, all right, so... Um, That's all I got. Enjoy this episode with Chad Stewart. This is Keith Stanton from Pike Spearing Outdoors, and you're listening to the Terrible Outdoorsman Podcast. We're probably going to mess up. We're going to cuss here and there. If I'm not catching anything, I might as well not be catching a muskie. Ecky Rick. We got weights and fish. Danny Irving with Fishing Complete. You're listening to the Terrible Outdoorsman Podcast. (laughs) Mr. Green Jeans. That's a humble bumble. Hi, this is Spencer Berman from Spencer's Angling Adventures, and you're listening to the Terrible Outdoorsman Podcast. Snort. Welcome to the Terrible Outdoorsman Podcast. Got Ryan Collin, your host. Yo, yo, yo. What up for show, Bob? And Daniel Son. Bobtastic. Daniel Son. No Jason, no Jimmy tonight, but we got, we're, we're making up for it tenfold. We got um, our fellow. DNR guy back. We got uh, Chad Stewart. How's it going, Chad? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back, fellas. Back by uh, popular demand. A lot of people have requested this, so glad to have you back, man. I appreciate it. Um, we didn't scare you off the second time either, so there's, we're doing something right. <laughs> no, I mean, I, honestly, it's just, it, it's a pleasure that anybody wants to talk to me more than one time, so I'm privileged. I guess what's that saying about us? <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> No, it's good to have you back, man. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna talk some deer stuff, talk some deer rags. But before we do that, what's uh, what's new with Chad? What what have you been doing all summer? Oh man, you know you know this was a like I said a, a deer regulations year. Um, so there was a lot going on with that. Um, even though there's not a whole lot that really changed, um, there's still always a lot of discussion that comes up about it. So work was. Work was busy this summer. Um, now we're just getting ready for the deer season, gearing up. And then, you know, personally, just try to do a little bit of traveling, spend some time with family. We always go up to the Upper Peninsula and do some camping for a week and uh, just kind of hanging out and, and enjoying the summer. It's been, feels like summer went by really fast. Doesn't it? it this summer, sure did, did. of all summers, I don't know why, flew by. It, maybe it's because it was super hot right off the bat and then it was, been like mild ever since then like it felt like summer lasted like the month of june was summer yeah i mean it's over my month of july i 
didn't really see daylight. So yeah, Dan, Dan had a baby. I did. Um, I did. Had some complications, but so he was living in, you know, Mont's hospital for a month and a half. Yeah. So his summer went by really quick, but <laughs> all's well. It sure did. Yeah. All's well. Disclaimer. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Very, That's good. very cool. Plus, I feel like we lost like a week or so with like air quality stuff where we had to oh. either stay inside or limit being outside. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. You no. Know, those Canadian wildfires. Yeah, those those summer days are so precious for us, and then we lose a week in the summer. It makes yeah. it tough. We've got a cottage up in Canada, and I, I just went up there a few weeks ago, and the first thing I did when I saw all my neighbors up there, I'm like, you guys can't take care of your fires? Like, come on. Come on. You're ruining my summer, guys. <laughs> they didn't laugh you're too ruining, much about it. I think they hear it too often. <laughs> you're ruining my sinuses. Let's yeah, you're ruining my well. sinuses. Man, there was there were some days, though, like my man, my asthma was really bad. And some of those really bad days, like, and at work, like, I kind of got to be outside at times. Man, this is yeah, there was some hitting my inhaler way more than I probably should have. But what do you do when it's just smog outside? So, right. Yeah. But, oh, well. So, let's get into it. So, we got some new deer regulations. Um, so, let's, uh, let's break that down. Um, do you have a particular one you want to go over first, Chad? Um, you know, we can, we can start in the lower peninsula and work our way up. It's, uh, that's logic. It's not, yeah, right. There's, <laughs> well, it'll still be logical if I start in the upper peninsula and work down, I guess. That's true. Who you talk that's to, true. But. Well, me, I would probably jump all over. <laughs> let's just go, let's just start right at the, uh, you know, the northern lower. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, just not a lot of changes this year, ultimately. We we really wanted to – I feel like we've been changing things almost every year. And, you know, so many hunters, I think, get whiplash because every year there's something major different going on. You know, last year was the the uh, the online reporting piece. And, you know, a couple of years ago we had the, the baiting restriction thing. And then, I mean, it's just like different APR regulations that get in, in – taken on or taken off. Um, so we wanted to try to be a little bit steady for once <laughs> this year. So um, no real major changes in the lower peninsula. The only big one was um, we've got 19 counties where we added back a uh, four point antler point restriction on the second tag of your combination tag. So basically what that means is most of uh, lower peninsula Michigan looks the same in terms of antler point restrictions with the exception of that Northern lower uh, Northwest 13 area where they still have mandatory antler point restrictions. But um, for the rest of the lower peninsula, first tag of your combo license, your regular tag is basically unrestricted, a three inch buck or greater. Um, and then on the second one, it's a four point or greater if you're shooting a buck. And of course, both of those are still able to be used for a doe. And that's with archery or firearm season, correct? Archery, firearm, and, and muzzleloader too, yep. So those those antler point restrictions would go for any buck, so those are the main three seasons where you would be focusing on that. Okay. So what made you guys do the change? Like, what do you guys look at when you're going to make a change like that? What was, I guess, explain to the listeners what the rationale, what's the DNR thinking when they're going to change that back? Yeah, good question. Um, so that was sort of the default regulation for, for years, right? And most of certainly Southern Michigan and even parts of, you know, the Northern lower Michigan, 
have have never lost it. They've always had that regulation in place where you've got the one unrestricted tag and the second restricted tag. So how those point restrictions came off the second tag was basically because we started finding chronic wasting disease in certain areas. And when you think about chronic wasting disease, we we basically just want people to start filling tags at that point because we want to we want to help them start using the the to shooting deer to help manage the disease. Um, of course, everybody can still have the choice in what they care to shoot, but you know we didn't want that restriction applied that would prevent someone from being successful. So what we started doing is we looked at where positive cases of CWD would occur. We'd draw, you know, about a 10 mile boundary around it. And if it intersected a deer management unit or a county, we would pull those antler point restrictions off. So that's how we started going from like a three county area to a five county area. And it eventually worked its way up to a 19 county area. And it stayed like that for several years. Um, and actually this past year with uh, the online harvest reporting, we were able to get more data available to us because now we can look at the actual uh, our antler characteristics for every reported ant uh, antler deer, which we've never been able to do before, right? So we started looking at, well, how many, what's the difference in the percentage of bucks with say a four point restriction on a side and, and bucks without a four point restriction where, you know, that regulation doesn't exist. So we started comparing, you know, hunter harvest tendencies between the two zones. And what we found was that there was literally no difference. Um, there were about, yeah, there was less than a 1% difference. It was like 65 and 66% of the bucks reported harvested in either the, the 4.8 APR zone with the second tag or the, the non-APR zone where both, uh, both tags were unrestricted. There was no difference in hunter harvest tendencies. So basically what we decided was we have two regulations that are doing the exact same thing. So why not just make one regulation, make it easy for hunters and, you know, try to avoid some confusion. So that sort of is the, the multiple year thought process and cycle where we have something, we have an event that takes place and we make a, a response based on what we think is the most appropriate. And then after several years, once we get really good data or information, we can compare and realize or, or, or evaluate whether or not the, the regulation should, should remain or be changed back. Okay. So basically simplifying it is the, the easiest answer. Like, you know, I think that was the, the consensus what last year, or I think it must, must've been last year where we had talked about, you know, it was very confusing and in, in what counties were antler point restrictions, which ones were, where you could bait, where you couldn't bait in certain parts of the UP, where you could shoot does, where you couldn't shoot does. So I like the idea of simplifying it and making it easier where it's pretty much the entire lower peninsula is all the same. Cause it used to be, I remember looking in the book, it was like four different zones, I think at one point, cause I think uh, the TB zone had its own uh, antler point yep. at one point, right? 487. Yep, for sure. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's sort of a, a narrow, narrow line that we have to sort of walk because um, Michigan is very different, you know, from north to south, even from east to west. So in a lot of instances, you know, different regulations are important because you have to account for that, you know, that variability that occurs in Michigan. It's why we just can't completely broad brush, you know, the, the lower peninsula and the upper peninsula because 
Southern Jackson County is very different than, you know, Northern Ontonagon County in the UP. You yeah. know, we just can't have the same regulations apply. But um, where there is similarities, or even if it's not similarities, if if our management goals and directions are in alignment, and you know, in so I'll say like in some of those northern forested counties in in Michigan, northern Michigan, um, you know, that still looks very different than what we're experiencing in say like southwest part, like say Calhoun County or something like that. It still looks very different, but our management directions are still the same. We're, we're still in sort of a management of, you know, maintaining or even reducing some of the deer herd. So when it gets to that level, then we can kind of keep regulations fairly similar, even though the geography and the landscape might look a little bit different because our, our end goal and what we're trying to accomplish is, is very, very similar. Gotcha. Okay. Now the the northwest part of the state. I don't know if we talked about this last time. Why is there a different antler point or APR system up there? What is it about that part of the state that you guys are trying to do something different? Yeah. So when when you talk about antler point restrictions in the state of Michigan, the sort of the blueprint to get them involved is basically do enough hunters want them is, is what it amounts to. So the, our, our APR policy to get something in place, you know, stemmed back from it's, it's probably over 10 years now um, where if they can get a, a group basically sponsors the um, initiative to, to try to get antler point restrictions established, they have to show some sort of initial level of support. So there's a sort of a petition, a, a letter of uh, signatures that go around um, and then we have to have sort of an open period where we're accepting these areas for, for application or, or, or whatnot. So a group came to us several years ago and uh, expressed interest and sort of checked all the boxes to get antler point restrictions, uh, uh, at least moving forward. Um, so we tentatively uh, agreed and, and basically said, okay, this is meets all the early qualification. So what we'll do is we will send a survey out to hunters in that area, and that will be more of a formalized, uh, you know, survey to determine, you know, overall support rather than just like getting 500 people to say, yes, I do support it. Um, with the idea being, and, and this was communicated to them that at that time they had to have 66% of the hunters come back and respond with yes, we would like antler point restrictions. And in that instance, uh, they met the criteria. They had 66%, and it was actually just a little bit over that, uh, come back and, and said they wanted to move forward with a three-point antler point restriction. So from that standpoint, it makes it very easy for the, the department. We take that, uh, we develop a regulation package that we propose to our Natural Resources Commission and basically say there's enough hunters in this area that, meet our requirement to, you know, install this antler point restriction on a five-year basis. And then after five years, we will go back and we will resurvey it to ensure that the level of support maintains, you know, a 66% threshold. Um, and that five-year period passed and they, they met that 66% threshold that actually increased, I think it was closer to 75 or even 76%. And so at that point, the, the sunset clause is what we call it came off. So they just become established there. 
So that's that's how it, the APR sort of happened in that Northwest. It was a Northwest 12. Uh, there's 13 counties involved because Leelanau came in years and years ago for, through a separate process. But um, but so that's how the APRs became established and continue to this day in that area. Okay. So the big difference in those is the uh, unrestricted tag is what, three points or more? Yeah, up there it's three points, and then the restricted tag continues to be four points. And then depending on where you're at in the state, that that unrestricted tag, if you were to implement an antler point restriction, it could vary from two points to a side to three points to a side to four points to a side. Four points to a side would be appropriate in southern Michigan because, um, you know, based on the number of deer that we've checked over our history, that would be what would be necessary to protect 50% of the yearling bucks. I was gonna say, and that's, like, that's the intention of the APR. Has anybody in in like the southern portions of Michigan tried that? Like as far as you know, going through that process. Yeah, um, the uh, there were five counties in uh, the Thumb area that tried it a couple years ago, and they they fell just a little bit short of that sixty six percent threshold. Um, I want to say it was like fifty nine percent support. Um, so, you know, um, we've, we've gotten criticism from our APR policy uh, before, um, you know, the people that want it say, well, it shouldn't it just be a majority rules? Like if it's 51%, why don't you just approve it or recommend it? Um, it we had, the response there is we just kind of refer back to how the original APR group was established and identified those thresholds. They wanted it to be what they call the super majority. Um, because when we take an estimation of level of support, there's always sort of a plus or minus around it. It's usually about two or three percent, uh, not nothing too crazy. But um, you know, they wanted to be very clear that a majority of the hunters want it, so they set that initial threshold at 66 percent, and that's um, largely what we followed um, to this day. And, and we haven't had any initiatives in recent years on it. Now, I would be down for the entire state switching over to it, but I, I can, I guess I can see both sides. I can see where your old timers who um, just shoot any buck they see because they only get the hunt, you know, for opening day. I, I can understand that, but they even still, if they didn't buy the combo tag, that still allows them to shoot any size, right? If if well, no, if they if they're in an APR area that APR would apply for the combo or the deer license. Yeah. I'm saying if they didn't buy the combo and they just bought like the one deer license, cause it's that old timer who, who goes up to deer camp and he's going to shoot the first deer he sees the first spike horn he sees. Cause he, you know, we all, I think we all probably know those guys. It would still allow him if he just bought the one deer license, right. In those APR counties. No, the APR counties are full APRs for both your deer license and your and your combination. Oh, okay. What you're prob what you're probably thinking of, and this is where things get confusing, um, is in the Upper Peninsula we have something called Hunter's Choice, right? And so that's where the APR is only applied to the combination license. So mm-hmm. you can opt out of hunting under an antler point restriction by just buying the deer license. So you're you're basically limiting yourself to one buck. And if you do that in the Upper Peninsula, um, you're, you can shoot any legal buck, you know, three-inch spike or greater. If you decide to purchase a combination license, now you're opting into antler point restrictions um, in the Upper Peninsula. So both bucks have to have, uh, up there, it's still a three and a four-point um, 
qualification. Hmm. So that might be what you're thinking of. But in a, in like that Northwest thir- 13, yeah, any buck that's taken um, has to be meet the requirements under the antler point restriction that you hmm. have. There are exceptions for youth hunters. Yeah, um, like youth yeah. hunters don't have to follow antler point restrictions. I've heard some support for, you know, maybe we should, you know, discuss about making, you know, older hunters, and, and I don't know what the age cutoff would be, that they would be exempt from antler point restrictions too. Yeah. And I think that would be something worth pursuing or at least discussing further. Yeah. I heard uh, somebody complain, I don't know, a week or two ago about, about that, that, you know, the, the Liberty hunt, the youth hunt that they, um, you know, they're exempt from the antler point restriction. And it's like, the way I look at it is in, you read all the reports and hunting, I guess, interest is on the decline every year. It gets worse and worse, right? So the more we can get youth into the woods, if that's what it takes to entice them, get them excited about hunting, get them back into the woods, like I think we need every opportunity possible to get kids in the woods nowadays, get them off their damn phones, get them into the outdoors, right? you know, and, and keep hunting, uh, you know, a popular thing. Like it's nothing like it used to be when I was a kid. I mean, I, f- I remember going to school, like all my friends, we'd talk about whether we saw a deer <laughs> the night before. And I, t- I guarantee kids are yep. talking about that nowadays. Not as much. Well, and you snapping think- it. To yeah. They're show. snapping it from the tree stands, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, I mean, I'm, I'm all for it. Like if, if that's something that is, going to entice that kid because i know like my son once i start getting him into the woods like i guarantee if he goes hunting like he's he's going to be bored if he goes a couple times doesn't see any deer or if he sees a uh, a deer he can't shoot he's probably going to get frustrated so like i could see like letting him maybe take a smaller buck like to really get his interest to get him you know excited about it i could i could see that they're killing the herd (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know it's it's always interesting when i hear those arguments too because there's nothing that prevents the kid from following an antler point restriction during that hunt, right? right. Like it's, and, and most kids are not hunting by themselves. They are hunting with a mentor and I don't know, think they're allowed their to, mentor, right? <laughs> well, yeah, well I, mean, I think as you start getting into like 16 and stuff, I think you can yeah. probably. Doesn't mean they're it. not anyway, doing it, but. <laughs> right, right. But like, you know, each, each, each mentor can sort of guide, like, you know, this is only what we're going to focus. And they can sort of raise the, kids you know in the own way that they they feel is appropriate and you know it at the end of the day like if a deer comes out and that kid is getting excited about the potential to shoot that deer like maybe as a mentor or as a guy like we should just let that kid make that decision in terms of whether or not that's a deer they want to shoot and obviously provide guidance on you know this is an ethical shot you know shoot now don't shoot now type i mean there's a lot of things that go on there but You know, it's, it's something if like a four point walks out and, you know, this kid is really excited about the possibility of that. And then you've got someone else saying, oh no, don't shoot that one because, you know, that's not good enough. And it's just like, well, it's clearly making the kid excited and like, right. They want, they want that experience. So exactly. Let them have it. My first deer was like a four or five point. I think, but I think your first buck was like a a six point, right? Yeah, I mean, and I, I remember that to this day. I remember the entire hunt, you know, yeah. and I'll have that for the rest of my life. Had I had an antler point restriction back then and I couldn't shoot that buck, like I didn't see a shooter buck probably until a couple of years ago that would have been a four points or more on one side, you know. 
Yeah, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania and, you know, back in the, my gosh, I was probably like early 90s when I shot my first year and it was a, it was a spike, right? Like, but if I would have waited for antler point restrictions at that time of year, like I, I would not have gotten a deer, a buck that year yep. just because they were not in that area. Pennsylvania's deer herd was very young. Um, it was kind of like probably hunting Michigan in the 90s, um, just a lot of yearlings running around, but that that deer that was that I shot like is to this day ingrained on my brain right I was like literally sitting on my dad's leg and yep. he's like yelling like or not yelling but like saying like you're gonna go you gotta take a shot you gotta go and shot and it didn't go too far and like I mean I don't know who was more excited me or him yep. so I remember there's like a, a three minute period there I feel like I can recall everything to this day and that's 30 years later and I cannot do that except for just a couple deer in my life so hey chad speaking of pennsylvania we want a flintlock season in michigan so if you could just make that happen <laughs> we'd really appreciate that yeah you can shoot them with flintlocks on november 15th you can shoot them <laughs> <laughs> i want a dedicated throughout, flintlock throughout the muzzle. <laughs> yeah we've got we've got a lot of times when you can use flintlocks yep, yep. yeah we want a dedicated season for just flintlock we are all about that I know, like, deer harvest there. is going to be down drastically. I'm going to be out there like Last of the Mohicans running through the woods and shit. <laughs> Dude, that's a great movie. I need to watch that that's movie. I haven't seen that in forever. That is a great movie. Um, you know, I love that idea, that, the, that but you fe- I feel like there would be so many wounded deer out there. <laughs> <laughs> we, can't, we can't do it with 450 bushmasters. Exactly, like, yeah. exactly. There's already tons of wounded deer now, let alone flintlocks. But all right, fine. Oh, my God. That's fine. No flintlocks. Oh, I forgot what I was going to ask you. I just threw you off. You did. You completely threw me off. Um, got excited about the flintlock. Well, yeah, you got me all all uh, discombobulated. He's all flush over here. We, now. He's, oh. like, he's we like, Jojo the Indian Circus boy with a pretty new pet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where I was. my head was going, but I'm distracted by Daniel Day-Lewis running through the woods. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. We'll just, we'll just roll into – well, I think that might have been what it was. The UP, so the UP APR restrictions, those didn't change, right? That's the same restrictions that have been up there for a while. Yeah, those those are pretty standard across most of the UP. Um, we now was the that one, the one change was that in part of that, like what the same thing was that an initiative that changed that because like we we hunted there for years and you always see those all of a sudden you start seeing those orange sign billboards saying let them go let them grow. I so right. now I'm thinking like was that the initiative like did they change that or well sixty six. Yeah, that- 66% of the UP is only like 66 people. That's so. pretty much Escanaba. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was a similar, I don't know the, I don't know the true history of it. this certainly preceded my time, but um, it, uh, it was a similar process, but not quite as formalized. So yeah. I think there was a, I think, I think there were some, uh, I guess, let's just say there were some negotiations involved. Um, is my understanding and the way that got that installed, but we've surveyed and uh, on that regulation for you know residents of the UP since that time, and by and large, the people up there and the hunters up there love it. So you know we've yeah. seen really no reason to to change it. Yeah. Well, I think I imagine it's because of the deer population is 
probably is I, i've always read it's been on the decline up there is there any insight on the deer population in the up because that's where we're going this year so we need all the hot spots yeah, <laughs> all the intel well well wow if you if you want to shoot a deer in the up you should probably focus on like that menominee that south central part um southern dickinson southern delta county that's where we're going <laughs> southern fine. delta by far, that's where the best deer population is up there. Um, as you go further north, um, and certainly as you go either to the fur- farther west, um, deer numbers thin out pretty quickly. So it's obviously a completely different hunt. Um, there's a lot more sort of big wild going on up there, um, you know, which gives you a whole different experience, um, which some people might love. But chances are it might be hard to cut a track and, and find deer or find success. So those some of those counties are pretty low in terms of deer kill, but if you're going to stick around uh, Delta Dickinson Menominee, those are the best spots and uh, you should definitely see deer and hopefully be successful. Either way, it'll be deer camp and it'll be fun. So that's yeah. what it's all about. So, all right. Um, I guess while we're talking about the U, well, no, let's go back to Liberty hunt. So the Liberty hunt, yeah. um, what, that was one of the regs that was changed this year also, right? Yeah, that was the, so that was the statewide change that we made. Um, and nothing, again, nothing too crazy, but the, the bag limit for that hunt, of course, that Liberty hunt is mostly participated in by youth hunters, but there are uh, individuals who would be eligible with a qualifying disability can participate too. The bag limit for that hunt was always one deer, just one deer period. Um, if you shoot a buck, you're done. If you shoot a doe, you're done. Um, so we sat there and looked at it and said, you know, one buck makes sense, but if someone wants to shoot a buck and then shoot a doe or shoot a doe and keep hunting for a buck, that's that's totally fine too. So we we increased the bag limit to still remain at one buck, but they could still pursue multiple antlerless deer if they wanted to and, and certainly had the tags for it. Okay, so still only one buck, even if they have a combo tag. Yeah, because, you okay. know, when that came about initially, that was really important that they don't want kids tagging out on bucks uh, on, in September. And, you know, they, they still want them to at least have the opportunity to go to deer camp if they wanted to later in the year or experience a different type of hunt. So, you know, going continuing to shoot one buck seemed to make sense and keeping that restriction there. But if they wanted to shoot more antlerless deer, that would be totally fine, too. Gotcha. Again, provided they're in the right unit and had the right tags. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, when I initially read it, I read it pretty quickly. I did not realized that it was still the one buck and i initially read it and i'm like man i can see people getting pissed about this thinking exactly that like kids can tag out kids can you know tag out shoot two bucks and then they're done for the season and i don't even get a uh to touch it for two weeks until the opening of bow I, I wouldn't get pissed about that i'm all about it but like i can just see like people i know getting pissy about stuff i'd like love that. to tag out in september the kids i mean <laughs> <laughs> Well, with a flintlock, right? With a flintlock <laughs> and a hatchet. <laughs> tomahawk. There we go. I want to go buy a tomahawk. I'm going to watch that movie tonight. So I just looked at the uh, deer numbers. Uh, looks like 5,400 deer were killed so far. For the year? Yep. For oh, the year. I thought you meant like, okay, I get you. 
Oh, yeah, we got to set our predictions again this year. We do, yeah. Yeah, we got to deal with Jason. Yeah, definitely. We should do it with Chad. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be a good one. Watch him be like within 100. (laughs) (laughs) He just just changes the numbers. He's going to control the numbers. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, if if I'm within 100, you would need to investigate. We would, yes, yeah. All right, Chad, we'll do that at the at before we wrap up at the end. So start thinking what your number is going to be. So, what your total right, number right. of harvested deer is going to be? Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll roll those into the mix when we One do ours. Million deer. Yeah, they're killing the herd. So, Chad, what have you seen this year from last year rolling in from the data that you received in regards to like the, uh, you know, the overall, I guess, harvest when it comes to the like the accidents and all that stuff. Is there any talks about that within the data and how it was, how it was up or down? Cause the reason I say that is cause I go to cold water every weekend where I have my camper and I've more and more as I've gone, like as closer to we get to, I guess, you know, hunting season and all that, the more fawns I see on the side of the road and the more like yeah. you know, deer that we see are like everywhere now rather than just, you know, on the side of the road or like, you know, you see them right. run, running through the fields and it's like, there's almost, you almost see more deer on the road than you do in the field sometimes when you're driving down. So is there anything to that from last year to this year? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we don't, we don't track like deer vehicle collisions, but there's a, you know, really good database online that, that has that. And uh, the numbers for last year, so they just came out with the 2022 um, estimates it was like, uh, I think it was like 59,000 road kills that were documented by, um, by deer. And it, I can't remember what the number is, but it's a, it's a crazy high number of the total percentage of like collisions in the state are, are, you know, deer involved, I think is what the best way to say it. Um, and that number was, I think the highest since I want to say 2009. That's crazy. So there is, there, yeah, there's definitely there's definitely going to be a trend in increasing deer numbers, especially in southern Michigan. And again, I, I kind of go back to two things, and one of them is declining hunter numbers. Is one right? Like you can't you can't lose a quarter of a million deer hunters and <laughs> expect to manage the deer herd the same way as we have the past twenty years. Right. Um, and two is just sort of a general reluctance from uh, not everybody certainly but a lot of michigan deer hunters to just not take antlerless deer um they just they just will not take an antlerless deer so those two factors one we don't have enough people hunting and two we don't have enough people shooting antlerless deer to really effectively manage our deer herd is going to lead us into more deer on the landscape which it's great for bucks, right? I mean, we're going to, if we have more bucks in the landscape, we're going to see more bucks at an older age class because just more going to survive. But, you know, the overall numbers are going to be higher and that's going to start leading to conflicts with farmers and, you know, motorists. Like this year was one of the worst years we've had with reports in Southern Michigan for crop damage complaints. Mm. Um, some of that I think was due to the early, uh, early summer drought, you know, the, the, like the beans and whatnot just were not growing very quickly. So they were just getting mowed down by deer, but uh, a lot of deer in a lot of these areas, you know, especially parts of like South central Southwestern part of the state. Um, and it's really good. It's really impacting um, farmers bottom line. 
I know we talked about it in one of the previous episodes, but Bob and I, we, we support this model. I will shoot nanny goats all day. Yes. <laughs> um, the earn a buck. I know some states do the earn a buck uh, method, which means you have to shoot a doe before you can even get your buck license. Have that Has that even been brought to the table ever? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it. What's really difficult is that, you know, one state tried it, and that state being Wisconsin, um, and it works really well, right? Like when you force almost every hunter in a specific area to shoot an antlerless deer before you shoot a buck, um, of course your antlerless harvest is going to go up because most most hunters are law-abiding hunters, and they're going to follow the rules. They might not like it, they'll follow it, right? Yep. Um, so it works really well, but it just becomes so stinking unpopular that what happened in Wisconsin was that it, it became so unpopular that uh, politicians were like running on that platform. Like I, if like if I get elected, I will abolish Ernabuck. <laughs> and it got to the point where that's what happened. So it actually got written into their state statute and voted on by elected officials that the Wisconsin DNR can never institute an earn a buck for a management program again. So in order for them to get that back, it would literally take a bill to be introduced. seems like some of our politicians would get their hands in that they just don't need to, you know, stay the hell out. Well, that's, that's kind of the reality of, of at least that regulation. So a lot of States are really, um, you know, pardon the pun gun shy on like moving forward with, with a regulation like that. Now, some States, have adopted a, an earn a second buck, and that's been pretty beneficial. So basically, you go out on October 1st with your flintlock, and you see it here. <laughs> then you go to jail for shooting at a deer in archery season with a flintlock. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you go out on opening day, and you see a great buck coming through. But, you know, this is your first day out, and you can't shoot it because you, you're hunting under an earn a buck rule. Um so what, what an earn a second buck rule is, allows you to do is, yeah, you can shoot that that big buck if it does happen to walk out in front of you. But before you go and shoot your second buck, then you have to shoot a doe. So that's where that kind of comes from. And they the states that do this, and I'm largely thinking of Virginia, the way they sort of communicate that to the hunters is like, listen, go out and shoot your doe first. That way you don't end up in the old Virginia biologist called it buck purgatory where you, you shoot a buck and then now you're you're locked into shooting a doe and now if the big one comes out then you really can't shoot it so shoot your doe first and then you can shoot you know the next two bucks that you want for all he cares I, I, so as long I, as you get that first doe down i'd be so, down for that i i could yeah i could go for that either way i i agree i mean i, I have a trail cam picture i have nine does on one picture <laughs> like we've got to shoot does this year to get them out of this property they're like rats in my out where we hunt. It's just un- unbelievable. They're everywhere. Five mature, five mature does and four fawns. And it's like, good lord, <laughs> I eat them rats. <laughs> I know there's more than that, but I've just got that's what in one picture. It's like Jimmy would shoot them. They're good eating rats. <laughs> shoot them all in one second. Yeah. So I hold I, on, hold on. We got one more. I think there's question. one more reg right to go over. Oh, one more reg. Um. So uh, well, we're we've got we've got some of the stuff in the Upper Peninsula yet, which. That, yeah, are we are we done with the lower peninsula? Are we moving on the 
Yeah, the, yeah, that's it with the Lower <laughs> Peninsula, just the Liberty Hunt, and then those those nineteen counties that had the APR change in the second tag. Let's okay. talk about Nevada regulations now. Okay, now we're going west coast of the United States. <laughs> should I mute? Should I mute you now? <laughs> oh, man. So, um, uh, I believe the the main one that the main change in the UP is the the CWD regs have been removed from those counties yep. bordering Wisconsin, right? Yeah, yeah. So I think in 2018, we found a case of chronic wasting disease up there. So we we didn't know what we were dealing with. So, you know, we, again, wanted to be very sort of cautious with, you know, what we we're doing. So we kind of opened it up and eliminated baiting and uh, that little, that zone that we established and started doing a lot of surveillance. So we get to, again, be informed in what's going on. And we tested about 2,100 deer out of that zone, and we never found another positive case of CWD. So, you know, again, using the information, the data that we collect from, you know, over the past couple of years, we, we thought, you know what, we can, we can let this go back and revert it back because we know that um, it's, it's, nobody likes extra regulations placed on them. Um, especially for disease type things. And it certainly would that in that case, we heard it certainly made hunting harder in some cases up there. Um, and in the absence of finding any more positive animals, we felt it made sense to kind of go back. So that whole CWD surveillance zone went away. So hunters can resume baiting and feeding up in those areas. Uh, we put those traditional antler point restrictions back on and life kind of just goes back to what it was before we ever found it. It's kind of like life before, Life before COVID and life after COVID, <laughs> same concept. But um, so the 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 CWD up in up in the UP. So you you didn't you tested twenty one hundred deer and and didn't have anything. So is the thought process kind of and I guess is maybe just the way my my mind is working. Like bring the baiting back because obviously hunter hunters probably were were not as successful, I, I presume. That's probably the thought, right? They were not as successful because baiting, in theory, makes it easier for you to shoot, at least does. Um, but um, it makes it easier for them to harvest, which goes kind of hand-in-hand with managing the CWD. The more deer you, you can remove from that area, um, and you can, the more you can get tested. Is that kind of the thought process? Yeah, you know, it's kind of like a double-edged sword when you talk about baiting and, and CWD because you're you are right. And I mean, so what it, what does baiting do, right? Like baiting is meant to change deer behavior. At at its very core, that's what you're doing with baiting, right? Like you're you're not baiting to kill deer, you're baiting to change their behavior so they continue to visit a location frequently. And then if they're visiting in that location frequently, then you know where they're going to be and the odds of you being there at the bait site when they're at the bait site is much higher. Um, and the way you do that is you continue to replenish food over time, you know, so they come in, they find food, they eat it, and then you put food back. It just magically keeps appearing from a deer standpoint. So they just keep coming back to it more frequently, more frequently, more frequently. And if it translates into hunters shooting more deer or shooting a lot of deer, then it would be uh, uh, a technique that would be valuable for disease management because you're shooting deer off it continuously. But what we tend to see is that 
hunters see a lot more deer at bait sites, but they still remain selective. You know, they're still waiting for a specific buck to come by. Um, even so they'll sit there and watch doe after doe after doe and they'll wait for a buck to come by. And at the, at the very end of the day, they might shoot one, maybe they shoot two deer off that bait site and it's not really impacting uh, the herd from a management standpoint because they're generally reluctant to take a lot of deer, which is what's needed from a disease management standpoint. So that's why we're kind of reluctant to bring baiting back from a disease management standpoint. It could increase um, success in some instances um, for sure, but we haven't really been hurting in terms of deer harvest since baiting has been banned in the lower peninsula for certain. I mean, we're yeah. killing pretty much just as many deer as we were before that. And that's with fewer hunters. Yeah. So well, we saw from the numbers from the, the uh, harvest reporting, I mean, they far exceeded what we thought the numbers were going to be of how many deer actually got harvested in Michigan. It just kind of blew our mind, but um, interesting. We, we, uh, we've had on a, uh, a guy uh, from down in Indiana a couple times now, and he says that they actually, if they set up like a, they got some weird rules down there. If they set up like a mineral site, they have to actually remove a certain amount of dirt. Yeah. Like they're allowed to like supplemental feed or something in the off season, but they can't yeah. actually bait and they have to remove a certain amount of dirt. Um, yep. I, I, when, when he, when we had him on, I don't know, a month or two ago, I, I just stayed with me and I'm like, you know, I'm going to ask Chad about that. Like, it's just, what's the thought process around that? They can supplemental feed, but they can't bait. I don't really, not that you can speak for the Indiana DNR, but it's like, it doesn't really make any logic. <laughs> you know, like if you, if you can't bait, you can't feed, if, if it's detrimental to the deer population and, and mitigating CWD, like why do it at all? It's not like it's the upper peninsula and they have harsh winters and like they're supplementing right. feeding to keep them healthy and keep them alive. This is Indiana. It doesn't get that cold down there to justify it. It's right. farm fields down there. Like, yeah. Um, so you, you probably don't know, like before I came up to Michigan, I was the deer biologist in Indiana for eight years. You're so, the culprit. Got, oh, you snap. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was actually there when I got there. But I, the guy that you spoke to is absolutely correct. Um, you know, you, you are allowed to put supplemental feed out throughout the summer. But um, by the time the hunting season comes around, that that bait site, that, that mineral site, however you want to, whatever you want to call it, um, has to be removed for, I forget how many days they have, or there has to be some sort of evidence that it hasn't been, been visited, you know, prior to the, the hunting season beginning. Um, you know, every state is weird and kind of quirky in terms of how some of their regulations are. Um, I never really did understand why that was developed that way. Um, what I can tell you is that a lot of hunters in Indiana really like the ability to put supplemental feed out because what they do is they they do their summer deer inventories off of it. They got their cameras out, they got their mineral blocks, they've got their, you know, various fruit flavored powders and jams. Um, so they basically start to build up an inventory on their property in terms of what deer are there and what, you know, what they're, what they're seeing and, and start developing a quote unquote hit list um for for the for the fall. So they they tend to use it for um both preseason and postseason inventory of what deer 
to expect and what deer came through. Um, you're absolutely like Indiana has not identified chronic wasting disease. So they haven't had to respond or sort of be put in that scenario where if they find a disease, you know, will they continue to maintain supplemental feeding or will they remove that option away? And I, I don't know where that agency will fall on that. I've, so, I've been gone for too long. So they're baiting, I guess they're not baiting bandage. They're, I guess being not allowed to bait has really doesn't have anything to do with CWD then, right? No, no, okay. I think I think that was probably developed. Um, you know, some some people view this as almost like an ethical thing. You know, um, you know, like you know, they might see baiting as a, an unfair advantage, so they gotcha. they have not allowed it. And and honestly, from you know my time down there, and I spent eight years down there, I rarely got complaints about people wanting the opportunity to bait. Mm. So they they've just kind of accepted that that's how Indiana is, and that's kind of how it is. And there, there doesn't seem to be a lot of folks clamoring for the opportunity to bait. And of course, there there certainly is some people, I'm sure there's going to listen to this and say, well, I'm in Indiana, I'd love the opportunity to bait. Right. But it's not everybody, but it's, it seems very few people want that opportunity. Interesting. I mean, I, I was thinking the whole time that it was based around CWD and that that's why it made zero nope. sense. But if it's not, I, I get the, yeah. the ethical thing and, um, you know, you know, giving everybody the same advantage, well, but yeah. You're right over there. Yeah. Dude? Everybody's weird with <laughs> ethics. Yeah. You know, I mean, you get some of those Southern States, they, they allow dogs to, to take, you know, for, yeah. for hunting with deer too. I and be, I watched a show you know, the one time where they did that. And I'm like, that doesn't look like fun at all. Like it just looks, it looks stupid. <laughs> yeah. It culture is different, you know, for, for the, for the, obviously the people that are doing it, they, they think it's great and love it. You know, and a lot of people that don't have experience with it, they'll sit there and say, ah, that is definitely not for me. Well, so it's kind of like, you know, you know, I, I remember watching those hunting shows in, down in Texas and they've got those big tripod feeders and they go off like every certain amount of times and the deer yeah. just get trained. Like they just stand back in the woods and they wait for those feeders to go off and they just sit in the blind, just wait for them to walk out. Like that's not hunting. Like there's no skill in, involved in that. Like you literally got them timed to where it's going off a certain time every day. Like, and I know they make feeders and I guarantee there's people doing it in Michigan, but it's like, it's just, you go back to that ethics thing. It just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right, but that's a whole nother can of worms. We probably don't need to go down. Sure is. <laughs> he goes, sure is. <laughs> All right, let's get back. <laughs> let's go back North to the UP. So, um, is there any other regulations? I saw the one where you can't use a crossbow, um, in the later archery season. Is that new? I don't remember that. Um, so crossbows have been, prohibited in the late archery season in the upper peninsula ever since crossbows were introduced into the archery season you know so whatever year that was it was like oh six oh seven oh eight somewhere in that time frame is when hunters could start using crossbows in the archery season without a permit right i think you had to get like a stamp or yeah. something like yeah. that just to sort of say you were doing it but um, they introduced it you no longer needed a special permit to do it and that was both in for the lower peninsula and the upper peninsula. But at that time, there was a movement to keep crossbows out of the late archery season in the upper peninsula for fear that too many people would use those crossbows to shoot migrating deer in that, that late season. And it has remained that way ever since. So 
again, we started looking at data and some information um, and realized that the overall total harvest and presumably the level of participation in the late archery season in the upper peninsula is very, very small. So from, from our perspective, those fears that existed years ago about um, over harvesting migrating deer uh, were unfounded. So we proposed to our natural resources commission, you know, why don't we just allow crossbows to be used across the upper peninsula in that late archery season, because we do not anticipate there to be a negative impact associated with that rule change. And, and ultimately um, what amounted to it is that our, our, our commission would, you know, we didn't sell it well enough. So our commission rejected that proposal. So that historical prohibition on crossbows in the late archery season is going to continue this year. Okay. So that wasn't a change that that just continues. It wasn't a change, but it was a proposal. So we did propose that there was, there was some discussion that happened with it. The same thing with the ability to take antlerless deer with archery equipment on some of those Northern units in uh, the upper peninsula, we again proposed that change to, to allow hunters to do that. And again, our, our commission did not approve that change either. So, um, so because of those two things, there is really no, no big changes in the upper peninsula outside of the removal of that, um, that CWD surveillance zone. Okay. So that's pretty much it for uh, any reg change for this year, right? Yeah, you know, I feel like there's not much, and here we have been talking for about an hour on it. So. That's what happens, right? <laughs> we talked about three things, and it took 50 <laughs> minutes, so that's, that's how we do it. So. Um, right. so while we're still talking about the UP, though, um, I know we had talked about it before. I don't know if it's been approved or if it's gone to effect, but I saw that there was kind of um, a movement to try to create the for the Upper Peninsula to have its own, um, like, division, its own, like, National Resource Commission to manage – that because it's you're right you said earlier that it's it's a whole different right. deer herd up there compared to southeastern lower michigan or southeastern michigan and um even northeastern michigan like they're it's completely different did that go into effect yet or do you know if that was approved or and so i i believe that was a proposed bill in our legislature to create a second natural resources commission that's specific to the upper peninsula so right now, you know, for, for, you know, anyone who's listening, we have one natural resources commission. Uh, it's a, it's a panel of seven appointed individuals from whether the current or previous governors um, to basically serve as our checks and balances within our DNR. So we propose regulations, we propose rules and the commission hears that information, hears from the public and then makes a decision on whether to approve our recommendation, reject our recommendation, or do even in some cases change our recommendation. And that that Natural Resources Commission has oversight of the entirety of, of the state of Michigan. I believe the what you're referencing is a proposed bill, and I cannot remember um, the legislator that proposed it at this time, but um, proposed you know having a, a second distinct Upper Peninsula Natural Resources Commission. So the existing one would just deal with Upper Peninsula matters, and then the second one would deal with uh, UP specific matters. Um, I that that is to my that that has certainly not been approved or, or heard, and and I'm not sure 
where that is in the long lines of how a bill becomes law type thing. Um, you know, so I probably I don't years know if down I can the road, knowing how, can, how that stuff works. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I can comment too deeply on it, but um, yeah, I, I don't think there has been a lot of movement on that bill. So the natural resources commit commission are political appointees, meaning they're, they are appointees. So they're partisan in some way, like, that, yeah, there's, that, there's, I'll save you from having to say anything about it, but to me, that's terrible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it, it just seems to me like, like, like politics really doesn't have any kind of, um, you know, when it comes to science and things like that. But I mean, it happens at a national level with everything oh, with, yeah. you know, CDC and all these, and, uh, oh, you yeah. know, the, all these other organizations and, and committees are, are formed through political appointees and, and they drive agendas and things like that. And I don't want to get too crazy into that piece of it, but like, to me, that's, it, it would seem like if, if a particular, you know, if the DNR, and, and I don't know how good they are, I, I don't keep up on it all that well, but if the, if the DNR who are the, who is the science behind, they're not political appointees, they're employees of the state and they are the, the science behind, you know, managing the, the natural resources, but then right. you have a committee that approves whether or not right. you can implement things, you know, and yeah. it just seems like it would, it would flow with, it would, it would change with the wind every time a, a new governor comes in and there's a political agenda associated with one particular regulation or another, like you couldn't get anything passed really well, like nothing in politics works. Right. right? You know? So it's, it's like, it's kind of like Wisconsin. We were just talking like the, the yeah, new, ran, running on, you know, regulation changes when yeah. Run, running uh, on no regulations science, to get rid of Erna buck. Like what, how, how does that involve him? But yeah, it's crazy. Like I said, rabbit holes. We don't need to go down. <laughs> I just had to say my piece on that. <laughs> Chad, I'm sure, has no comment on that. That would make sense. I, I, I know which topics are landmines and know how to step over them. So, yeah. Jump over them. Delicately stay away from that one. Yeah. Well, we can get into a couple controversial topics real quick. I have, I have one still sure. on the UP. On the UP, uh, has there been? I know you know the big controversy, and it's it's like this every year. You know, other than like the baiting stuff and all that other stuff, is the wolves. So, uh, do you guys have any new data on on wolf population or its impact on the deer herd in uh, the Upper Peninsula? No, I think I think there's like I talked with one of our researchers uh, earlier this summer, and I I believe that there's a, a pretty broad scale survey that he's developing for this winter. Um, like a camera survey. Um, I don't know the full details of it, um, but, you know, I know that there's going to be a, a wolf survey going on this year. Um, you know, I, I mean, our, our our management right now is still handcuffed because they are federally listed as an endangered species. Um, so so we, we are, as an agency, very much handcuffed in, in what we can do. Um, I haven't been following some of the stuff a whole lot because my – there's, there's a lot going on with, with the wolf discussion and, you know, we've got people that are dedicated for that. Um, so I, I, again, delicately defer to them on some of these topics, but there was a whole, uh, uh, what do they call it? Like a sort of a wolf management plan in a, in a committee that was developed to sort of, you know, develop how we will respond if and when 
uh, wolves get delisted um, because that always seems to be the circle. It's like a pendulum going back and forth between being listed and delisted. Um, so that plan, I believe, starts to outline how we would respond um, in, in those events. And I, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, regulations, certain regulations being popular or not. And so it sounds a little bit like the people have a little bit of a, a little bit of a say in the way some of these things go. Like we talked about animal point restrictions and things like that. And you talked about how Wisconsin, yeah. Wisconsin or Wisconsin got rid of their earner buck because it was hugely unpopular with the people. But, and I know that the, the wolf population is federally regulated. Um, but it seems to me that has got to be the most unpopular thing in the up because i've never met a person that was like no i'm, I'm so glad that we have wolves in our right. uh, backyard now and i get to watch them and frolic through the woods and kill all the deer you know what i'm saying like it's got to be hugely yeah. unpopular up there I, I would imagine that you would have like single digit approval rating of wolves in the in the upper peninsula and it's like there's apparently no saying that you know what i'm saying like it's kind of to me yeah. it's funky I, I think, I think you're absolutely, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, I think that is, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that that is issue number one among sportsmen up there. And, you know, when I, when I've listened into some of the, like the, the management discussions and, you know, hear people that talk, I mean, they are very much passionate about it and, you know, are extremely frustrated that, you know, our, our hands are tied on this topic because they are, they're living in that area and they are seeing impacts, um, you know, to the things that they love like deer. Um, so there, that's, that's definitely the, the number one issue for a lot of the folks up there. Now, is there like a hierarchy when it comes to the, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the, or it would be the like U S fish and wildlife or whoever it is that manages that. Um, is there like a hierarchy to it? Do they have like more pull than the DNR? Because, you know, the introduction of wolves into the state of Michigan, like it seems, it seems very much to me that the DNR should have some say in that, you know, like, Hey, how this, and I mean, I know this is old news. This is stuff that like they introduced wolves a long time ago, but like, I don't know what you may may or may not know about that, but is it like, did Michigan have any say in that? Or they're just like, Hey, uh, we're going to put wolves in your backyard and, uh, <laughs> you're going to like it and be quiet about it. You know what I'm saying? Cause it deal it, with it. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, the upper peninsula and, and everybody up there just has to deal with it. Like, cause again, hugely unpopular, like nobody wants it. So it's like, we're just going to do it and you're going to like it. You know, it was, was it that kind yeah. of deal or what? Well, I mean, once, I mean, I mean, I think what you're, you're going with there is like, I mean, once it, yeah, once it gets like, you know, some sort of federal designation, especially with like a uh, threatened and endangered, it, it, it supersedes, you know, some, it, it basically dictates what the state can do on a lot of things. So once it has some sort of federal oversight, um, it really limits what, what can and can't be done with that, with that specific species. So there, there are some, um, I guess, handcuffing that, that, that had happens when we, we talk about these things that go, on like a, a federal list somewhere um, in terms of what the options are available for it for management. Well, let's keep the topic going with wolves. How's that? So um, we'll, we'll make this kind of somewhat brief because uh, 
we'll, we'll clear the air. Uh, we had a previous conversation about um, the moose population in Isle Royale. Um, so, so Chad, I'll just kind of go over kind of what we had talked about. So in 2019, um, the moose population was estimated over 2,000 on Isle Royale. Since 2019, the moose population is down 54%. So last winter, they estimated the moose population is only at 967 moose. In 2018, they introduced wolves into the island. So common sense would make you think that, like, okay, you're introducing wolves into the island. All of a sudden, a year later, you're starting to see a, a drastic decline in the moose population. The article I read said that primarily their wolves are they they have found that wolves did kill moose but it's so minor that the wolves are are the the moose are mainly dying from uh starvation because of an, an infestation of uh, balsam firs on on the island that's what the article mm-hmm. said but it's you put i mean just obviously i know nothing about it but just common sense would make you think like you bring wolves in all of a sudden you have a rapid decline of the moose population. And, and then even in the article, the wolf population has thrived. Like they, I forget how many they put in. Um, I don't remember. I thought I had the numbers here, but the, the, I don't remember how many wolves they put in, but now they're up to 26 wolves on the Island. And I think I want to say it was only six or eight wolves they put on. So in a matter of four years, they've quadrupled, and the moose herd has been cut in half. They're killing the herd. Right. So, I mean, that, that's – so initially I'm thinking, okay, this is the DNR managing this, but you told me before we got on air that this is not. So we're going to clear the air that the DNR does not manage IORL because that is a national park, right? Correct, yeah. IORL is uh, – So nobody yell at Chad. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's it's owned and, and managed by the National Park Service. So um, we don't have management authority there. We have we have been partners with them. I, I believe some of those wolves that were actually brought to the island were Michigan mainland wolves. Um, I think they got wolves from Michigan and Minnesota. Um, I'm not sure if they got any from Canada or not, but. Um, yeah, so I mean, we've we've partnered with them on it, but we have no authority on you know what what they are doing on the island. Yeah, so just crazy to hear that. Like, like I said, the moose population, I mean, cut in half, wolf population thriving, and, and I mean, and maybe it's Jason brought up a good point because that's where Jason thinks. You know, the DNR guy thinks like maybe because of the infestation of the balsam firs. The moose aren't as strong as they normally are to fight off the wolves. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe they're dying from starvation. The wolves are eating them, but maybe it's not necessarily the wolves that are killing them. Maybe it's they go hand in hand type thing. I mean, I do believe that nature has a way of keeping itself in check. I right. mean, that's, you know, obvious in a lot of ways. But I think, all right, I'm no, I'm no rocket surgeon here, but... Um, <laughs> rocket surgeon. Okay. I'm, I'm no, I'm no rocket surgeon, but, <laughs> but so the same thing happened on a much larger scale in the Upper Peninsula, right? They introduced wolves. Next thing you know, oh my God, the 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 deer herd has plummeted in the UP, and it's because the winters are harsher, and because not enough, you know, and all these other other factors other than pointing to wolves. Same thing happened on oil or on Isle Royale where 
we have a thriving moose population. We introduce wolves. Next thing you know, we have, oh, it's got to be some, you know, some infection that the trees have. You know what I'm saying? Like, but we don't ever want to point the finger at the obvious culprit. And there's, again, I don't know. I'm I'm not putting on the tinfoil hat or anything, (laughs) but like... You know what I'm saying? It, it like, just, I'm not it does dumb. Seem We're like, not dumb. It does seem like wolves are like nobody wants to point the finger at the wolves, like because they're an endangered species. They're an endangered and I, species, maybe, and maybe that's why. Like nobody wants to point the finger at the wolves, and that's I think that's what probably frustrates people up in the Upper Peninsula more than anything is like nobody wants to say that it's a problem, even though they mm. see it at, that that it's a problem. It is a federal thing. It's probably Kamala Harris's problem. Jesus. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Chad, all of a sudden, Chad disappeared. Look at that. Oh, man. Where'd you go, Chad? <laughs> all right. We're done with that. Anyway. I mean, Chad, any other thoughts on that? Obviously, I mean, he probably didn't know much about it, but. No, I, I don't know a whole lot about it. I will. I guess I'll just say that. Um, it's really easy to often draw those lines, you know, between like cause and effect with, with nature, but you know, nature is typically very complex in terms of there's, there's several things always going on at one time. And certainly one change can accentuate a change um, or, or, or speed up something but there may have already been some things in place going on. So, you know, I, I don't know enough about the moose herd on Isle Royal. I don't know enough about, you know, the um, colonization of balsam fur on the island, certainly. But, uh, you know, I think, I think one of the other things to consider is, I mean, um, you know, we're, Wolves were brought to that island again for a reason, right? Yeah, two thousand um, moose because, seem like way too many moose for that island. It's it not that seems serious. like it's a lot, and and this is yeah. So this is not necessarily like a more is better. Like right. you know, let's like it's it's not like let's just keep going with like moose. Yeah. Let's see if we can get to three thousand, four thousand. Like eventually, <laughs> forty thousand. Like, Mother nature is gonna have a, an impact, right? So like that's that's how cervid populations respond. So Maybe there's a starvation of the balsam furs because the moose were eating all of the balsam furs because there were too many moose. I'll, yeah, I'll be honest, moose. I don't even know what the hell a balsam fur is, but I'm gonna assume it's some kind of plant or tree or it's whatever. A, but it's their their favorite forage. Oh, I'll say that. Yeah. So their favorite licky and chewy. <laughs> all right, so we'll wrap up with one more controversial crisis that we've or controversial crisis. topic <laughs> i have crisis wrote down because that's what the the articles labeled as so oh my God, it's a crisis so <laughs> i read an article um that it kind of it was labeled like the deer population crisis basically saying that there's way too many deer in the state and blah 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 but the the basis of the article was around making the gun opener always on a saturday instead of on november 15th which it traditionally is the article says that a lot of states have switched to the Saturday thing to allow for more people to be able to participate on the opening day. And then I know we talked about it. Like I want to say it was the last time you were on Chad about like how Michigan is a very traditional state. We want it to stay November 15th, even if it falls during the week. But um, I don't remember how, how our last conversation went um, about that. Cause I, I thought did, was it something that you guys had entertained in previous years? Well, we, we looked into it this year. We, I mean, we, our, our former director sort of asked us to like evaluate, like, is, 
what do we think would happen if we made that change? You know, and again, taking the whole social side and, you know, what hunters think about it off the table, like, what do we think it's going to do biologically? Will it make us kill more deer? Um, so, you know, I guess before I get into that, like, you know, the social side is an important one. And we've talked a couple of times about different surveys and how things get established in Michigan from a regulation standpoint already today. Um, when we survey Michigan deer hunters about, you know, their level of support for November 15th, it's over 80%. It's like 85% support in terms of keeping it as November 15th. Doesn't matter what day of the week it starts on. It could be Tuesday, Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday, whatever. Keep it as November 15th. And we've asked them to, to sort of show their support to other scenarios too, like the Saturday before Thanksgiving or the Saturday closest to November 15th. All of them fall short compared to what they, they show support for for November 15th. So by and large, like if we were to make the change from November 15th to just another date and Saturday would probably be the most likely date it would go to, you're basically upsetting 85% of our existing hunters, you know, because that's something that they would not support. So that's the social side of things. And that, that's, that's already complicating things because there's such a strong support for our existing um, regulation. So then we started looking at like, what, what would it look like biologically? And if the, if the intention is that we're going to shoot more deer in years where uh, uh, November 15th falls on a Saturday, um, we have those years in our history, right? So can we go back and see, does that actually reflect a spike? You know, on those years when November 15th falls on a Saturday, do we see a spike in deer harvest compared to any other years or seasons around that? And the answer is no, we've not seen that at all in our history. So um, going to a November 15th and saying that it's going to change how hunters harvest deer or even participate, we just don't have data in our history to show that that's going to be an impact. You know, I mean, cause we've had November 15th openers on Saturday you know, every couple of years we seem to have, you know, every at least five or six years, we seem to have one um, because yeah. it sort of rotates through the calendar yep. and we don't see those spikes at all. And then the other, the other side of that is uh, Pennsylvania just recently um, made a change. So Pennsylvania, if you're familiar with it at all, or if you've got any listeners in it, um, historically open the Monday after Thanksgiving. So they had a Monday opener historically. Um, and they had the same sort of discussion in their state and they said, why don't we open up on Saturday? So they actually moved it two days forward. Uh, so it was the Saturday after Thanksgiving and they created uh, a couple years where let's do this Saturday opener and see if we kill more deer. And what happened was they did not kill more deer. The, the hunter numbers were basically the same. Um, they actually continued to decline. So it didn't increase or bring back hunters. The amount of days in the field stayed the same from a hunter uh, standpoint and the amount of deer or time it took to kill a deer was basically the same too. So when I talked to the, my counterpart there in Pennsylvania about like what were the impacts, he said basically hunters acted exactly the same as they did before. They just shifted the days in which they hunted. You know, instead of hunting like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they would hunt Saturday, 
that's that sometimes Sunday because Pennsylvania is weird with Sunday hunting. Um, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or Saturday, then you had to skip Sunday because it was still a state holiday type thing and you can't hunt mm-hmm. uh, Monday, Tuesday. So they biologically, there was no impact whatsoever. If the DNR makes no, <laughs> if the DNR changes opening day from November 15th, I'm going to run for office on <laughs> make opening day great again. And I'm going to get elected and permanently ban that from ever happening. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Between, between um, that and the new Flintlock season, you can, yeah. you're, you're, you're <laughs> oh man, the deer, the deer hunting season in Michigan is going to be a pure shit show. Oh, man. <laughs> That'll be the new sign when you come out of Ohio and the, the Michigan's going to say pure shit show. <laughs> you know, when I was growing Thank, up. Thanks to Bob from yeah, Terrible Outdoorsman. Yeah. Hey, vote for me. Vote for me. <laughs> when I was growing up, I, I used to compete in a lot of, you know, clay target shooting events and stuff. And I uh, I was actually really close with the, the daughter of one of the directors of the Michigan DNR at that time. And I always thought, like, there's no way I could ever do that job. No way. Not, not a chance in hell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, there, there's no way I could be responsible no. for everyone involved in the DNR. Not a chance. You guys get a lot of hate mail? That's what was, that was going to be one of my questions, actually. I have it written down. Oh, man. I stole it from No, you. it's fine. That's a great. Well, glad you, that you get hate tweets now. You yeah. get hate mail. Yeah. Nobody sends mail. Yeah. What's the biggest complaint? Yeah. What's the biggest complaint? Oh, man. Um, I'm just going through like a like a Rolodex in my brain, like which one is the biggest <laughs> one because it's a couple of them. You know, I think it varies seasonally. Um, you know, like right now we're getting a lot of, you know, I, I don't agree with the youth season, blah, 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 because we just had that. Um, so that that tends to come up. I would say if there's one that's sort of consistent over time, it's just um, people are people are disappointed with the the age structure in our bucks in Michigan. They they think we should have older bucks in our in our deer herd that combined with um sort of the disproportion between the buck and doe ratio um they see a lot of does don't see nearly as many bucks as they would like um shoot i think more, those shoot more just, does and stop shooting little ones <laughs> yeah i mean it's i mean the the regulations are in place for people to to do those things right i mean yeah. um but and i think there has been improvement i mean looking at the data from and, and you guys have been in michigan longer than i've been you know, I mean, what is it? What does our deer herd look like now compared to 20 years ago? Um, I mean, I'll know, say in, the deer in, numbers in the last, I don't know, maybe five years, eight years or so, just from trail cram pictures alone, we have much larger bucks where we hunt. Would you agree? Yeah, agree. I mean, I'm, we've had trail cameras for years, but going back probably 15, 20 years, we've had trail cameras. Never the quality of bucks we we see now you might see one buck that's like a shooter buck like you know he's a monster and last year god what we have five six i mean yeah we were probably 130 plus inch bucks like where we hunt like (laughs) we're almost naming them yeah yeah we're almost naming them and that's not everywhere but just at least we're where we are I, i see a huge difference year over year Maybe that's some of that is Bob and I changing our ways. We're not shooting smaller deer. Uh, some of the other hunters around there that would always shoot smaller bucks, they are either dead and gone or moved away. Maybe that's part of it. Um, who knows? But 
I, I mean, even just you look at you watch Michigan Outdoors and you watch Big Buck Night, or you just maybe just a social media aspect. Like you just seem to see a lot bigger deer um, every year. It seems like oh my god, like guys I know shooting bigger deer, and I'm like, I know where you hunt. Like, where did that come from? Type right. thing. Yeah. Um, I had a couple other comments on the, um, the Saturday opener thing. So you're actually quoted in this article. I meant to tell you that you should read the articles. You're, you're even quoted <laughs> in it. But one of the things this guy says, a lot of what he says is honestly, I, I felt was nonsense. Like he's just reaching to come up with shit to, to, to make this article a thing. So, but one of the things he, he said in there, his complaints was that the survey that you guys, that you referenced was on, only surveyed the hunt, like gun hunters who went, up for opening day and you should have surveyed non hunters and, and bow hunters. And I'm like, why would, why would you survey the people who don't, why wouldn't you survey those people to see what they prefer? I'm like, what it just didn't. What about business owners? That's a big deal for an well, Exactly. Places. Yeah. And, yeah. and he doesn't mention any of that, but he's like, why would, why would you only survey or why would you survey um, the targeted class? And I'm thinking, what the hell is wrong with you? Why wouldn't you survey the people who are going to be hunting in that time frame, Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if he's uh, referring to like, um, you know, why why wouldn't we survey like lapsed hunters? You know, basically people who have left the sport of hunting. And I think that the the connection there that I think he's probably trying to make is that um, our hunter numbers are down because yeah. people can't get off on November fifteenth on a Tuesday to hunt, so they've just eventually just gotten out of hunting. Um, so I, I think that's probably the argument that he's making that we're only interviewing or surveying the surveying the people that are still hunting and we're not surveying the people who have left hunting. Um, and I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that would ring true. I mean, you know, by that, by that theory, like, you know, hunters would be coming back in on Saturdays you know, on, a, right. on a November 15th Saturday opener. Like, right. you know, I, I just, I just don't see, I just don't see that connection as having any sort of statistical power behind it. Like I can get the logic and trying to poke holes in the the argument, but I, I just don't think that there's a lot there at the end of the day. No. And I, I think Michigan is such a traditional state that people, like you said, it's overwhelming 80, what 85% people are in favor of November 15th. Cause it's what they've been doing since they were a little kid, right? That's been opening day. People figure it out with yeah. their work. I mean, they just, they they get the time off, right? I, I mean, hell, schools up in the Upper Peninsula, they shut down. Like, kids don't have school on opening day of, of firearm yeah. season. Like, it is a big deal. So I, in that aspect, kids would hate it in the, in the Upper Peninsula because they, they, they don't get a free day off of school. <laughs> <laughs> but I just – I don't think that's really an issue where where people can't get off work like to where – I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's some people who can't get off work, but I don't think it's that big of an issue to change the date to a Saturday. I just really don't. Um, and one of the other things he said in the article is that because of like leap years and whatever, we're only going to have one Saturday opener over the next 17 years. So, so from 2014 to 2031, because of however the leap years work on the calendar, there's only one really? Saturday that November 15th is or November, November 15th is going to fall on a Saturday over the next 17 years. I didn't like fact check this. So somebody can fact check this guy, but that's what he said. 
But still, it could fall on a Friday. It can fall on a Sunday. Like, it doesn't have to be a Saturday. Like, not everybody works Monday through Friday. I would much rather be hunting on a Wednesday than hunting on a Saturday. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's never been an issue, honestly. Like, it's, I think it's that important to Michigan hunters that it, like, this day, like, for me, like, I have flat out told people, like, when I interview for jobs, hey, I need this this time frame off. I already know I'm going up north for deer camp. And I've, I've had people say no, and I'm like, have a nice day. Because it's that important <laughs> to me that, like, I'll turn down a job if somebody says I can't have this time off. And I know there's – I'm not the only. I, I'm I'm the majority here, right? But that's my two yeah, cents. I think Don't change said, it to a Saturday. Don't. <laughs> no, I, we're, we're, not, we're not angling that direction at all. And I, I think what you just said is important because people find a way to get out on November 15th, whether it's on a Tuesday or a Thursday. And the other thing is, even, even if you can't get out on that November 15th because of some other obligation, I mean, it's, you've got 16 days in firearm season to get out. So it's, it's a long season. And, you know, I guess the last thing I'll say, like, so last year it opened on a Tuesday, right? November 15th fell on a Tuesday, which is by all accounts, like not the most ideal day, probably for a lot of people for it to fall on. And we had, um, 45,000 deer reported taken on November 15th hmm. on a Tuesday. It's crazy. And yeah. I think I probably talked about this maybe on another last time. Like that, that translates to like one deer every like less than one second. Of yeah. daylight. So people get out on opening day and it doesn't matter what day of the week it is. They're going to shoot deer that right. day. Yep. It needs to be on a Monday because I hate Mondays. <laughs> right? Know? That's a one way to make Mondays, honestly, for me, because we always, I generally, we take the whole week anyway. So, like, Monday's perfect because then you can go up on Saturday, get your camp ready, get your stuff ready, and then you got a day to scout and get ready. And boom, you're in the woods on Monday. I wouldn't want it on a Saturday because then I got to, I can't do that. I, I got to take days you're off work. Up on the day yeah, I'm showing up, want. what, Friday night before deer season? Like, not everybody has these yeah. camps and heated blinds that you just walk out to. No. And I think that's where I think the whole Saturday thing, like, I don't, I don't really want it to be on a Saturday. I would rather be on a Monday, Tuesday, whatever, because for us, driving up to the UP, like, we want a couple days. we got a day of travel to get up there a day of scouting because we went in state land trying to find where we're going to hunt. Yep. And then, you know, getting into the woods. Like I, I like those couple days to decompress, get, get stuff ready, get organized, get in the woods, you know, but that's just me. It's my thought. All right, Chad, what's your prediction for the 2023 deer harvest? Oh man, you're going to make me go first, huh? Well, we're not going to um, do ours yet. Because we haven't, I haven't even thought about this. We'll get the rest of the guys on. And we'll do it, and I will read yours uh, what, to those guys when uh, closest to without on. going over. Is that what we're doing this year? Closest to without going over, or just closest? Yeah, to? We're doing like prices right rules. Yeah, prices yeah. right rules. Yeah. Okay, we can do that. <laughs> closest to without going over. Okay. All right. right. Write so it this down, is the Dan. So it's on record. Harvest. The reported harvest that will be finalized. Uh, let's see the last season in officially ends January 31st. We got a couple late seasons in um no, the no, no doctoring these numbers up, okay? No, no. We know no, the guy who puts the these numbers together. <laughs> I don't I don't doctor the numbers. I'm just trying to like set the guidelines here. What was last Wait, year's um, total number? Do you remember off the top of your head? Yeah, it was like 300 three. it was around 303,000. Yeah. 
So oh, let me let me backtrack a minute. So closest to without going over, or do we want to just do closest to? Because in, in that case, if if Chad picks three hundred and three thousand, and I pick three hundred and three thousand and one, you know, I've just beat yeah. Him out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, let's go closest to. I just like closest just, to. Just, I don't okay, like the, okay. I don't like the Price is Right thing. All right, well, yeah, Price they, is wrong, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> let's just let's just do closest to no. by a under or over margin, and we'll figure okay. out whoever wins. So last year was three hundred and three. Now, now that's just Hunter Harvest, right? So is yep, that Hunter Harvest? Is that including? All the mail-in surveys, deer check stations, any of that? Or is that all separate data? Nope. That is just what came through our online and our okay. mobile app. That's so, what so, is reported. Now, yeah, so if we if we just go on that number, which is, a, I think, probably the best one to go off of because um, we, we try to correct that number with a survey at the end of the year, so it's always going to be a little bit higher. You never know where that's going to be. So um, just – you know, trying to take a guess at the, you know, the, what the harvest would be. Uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say 317,000 or 456. We'll go crazy. Go crazy. <laughs> so crazy. Yeah. 307,000. So you're thinking a 14,000 increase. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll give it that. Okay. I like it. And again, my thought is that there's still a lot of deer in Southern Michigan. Um, hopefully we get a little bit more participation in the, in the reporting. Um, well, that so. That's my thought is I think you're going to have more participation once people like realize eh, it wasn't that big of a deal to do this, this reporting and put a little pin on the app. So. It's not really that big of a deal. I think uh, you'll see. Did you guys get rid of the pin? Did they get rid of the pin? We did get rid of the pin this year. Right. Yeah, you're yeah. you're now. Hey, maybe we should talk yeah, about mandatory reporting before we wrap this up. Any... <laughs> oh man, it's gonna be like <laughs> a six hour podcast. Refresh us on the mandatory reporting as we wrap up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same same general requirements uh, this year as last year. This is something that we're going to keep doing. Um, you know, so once you harvest your deer, you've got seventy two hours to report it. Uh, right, you can do that online. Uh, easiest way to do that is. Just www.mi.gov forward slash DNR harvest report. Um, the other thing I would encourage anyone to do is uh, if you have like a, a smartphone is to get our mobile app. It's just uh, uh, Michigan DNR and my DNR hunt fish. And, you know, I, I'm supposed to say this every time I give interviews and sort of promote that. But honestly, just as a hunter, it is it is so nice to have that. I mean, keep it's all awesome. your... Awesome. licenses in one spot you can report your deer through it you can uh you got all your your lottery points for you know elk and bear if you put in for that i mean it's just great it's got everything in there it's the the app is a is a game changer it really is i mean yeah, I, I think jason. i've been the biggest promoter yeah jason i don't think he i think he's he's got to have it he just he just fucks with me there's no way he doesn't have it working for the dnr <laughs> but um, that thing is a game changer. Like you said, for licenses, like I, there's times where like, I'm going fishing and I'll, I'll quickly think like, Oh, do I have my license? I'm like, I got my phone. Yep. I'm good. I'm good. Like that, that thing is, um, is awesome. L- looking up the regs. Like I was, I, w- I was kind of just kind of pulling some notes before the podcast here. And I'm like, initially thought like, Oh, I didn't, fuck. I was going to go to the store and get a book. And I'm like, Nope. Pull up the app. Got the whole 80 page book right in my phone. Oh, like need. it's, uh, it's awesome. 
Yeah, it's 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 really a great app. The guy, the the folks that designed it did a great job with it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, doesn't take long. I think right now through the Liberty Hunt, I think they said they were averaging about three to four minutes for reporting the the actual harvest. So it doesn't take long. Um, and and again, one of the big changes we made this year because we know that people did not like the dropping the pin. Um, a lot of people viewed that as sort of like a invasion of their privacy or giving their hunting spot away. Um, you know, we, we changed that and basically now you're selecting the, the township that you're in. So you've got like sort of a range where you're, you're dropping your, your thing and you don't have to give your exact location away. So again, we're hoping that that, um, you know, people, people see that we were responsive to some of the concerns from last year um, and that sort of continues to build trust in their their willingness to report their harvest. Very cool. Yeah, I, I think, you know, talking about the harvest reporting, it, there was a lot of controversy last year, you know, a lot of people bitching about it, yet they want to sit here and bitch about, you know, the Michigan deer herd and how the hunting needs to be better and the DNR needs to do a better job. Well, you can't do a better job if you don't have the data, right? So, Report your deer, give them the info they need to manage the herd, right? So give them the tools they need. So I'm all about it. So uh, just like last year, um, I will link in every episode throughout um, deer season, I'm going to link the harvest reporting, and then I also link the CWD page that you guys have in case you think you have a deer that you want to get tested um, and everything related to CWD. I will add that in um, starting again on this episode. I'll run it throughout the um, the hunting season. So if you, like I said, I have the app on there, Harvest Reporting, and then I have um, the CWD page. I'll, I'll link that in the bio of every podcast we do for the next probably four months. So that's all you got to do is look at the bio of every episode. Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that, Ryan. Yeah. All right, boys, what do you guys got for Chad so we can let him go to bed? No, nothing much here, Chad. As always, thanks for joining. Uh, as a As a new deer hunter this year, I mean, this will probably be my – second time ever hunting this year and uh so you're you're awfully quiet for for deer (laughs) hey i'm getting there um but yeah i i really enjoyed just kind of listening kind of sitting back to and just really learning myself kind of about the new regulations and stuff because that stuff i have to do a crap ton of research on and you know start to learn so i really uh as a new deer hunter i appreciate that so thank you cool thanks dan what you got bob Oh, I just wanted to say thanks. Thanks again for coming on. Um, sorry if I got a little bit in the weeds with the uh, the political stuff. Some some of the stuff drives me crazy sometimes. But um, but yeah, that's uh, that's all I got. Uh, again, appreciate you coming on and uh, looking forward to this season. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Bob. We call him Controversy Bob for a reason. Hey, mm-hmm. hey, <laughs> hey somebody's got to talk about the stuff <laughs> that's why we keep you around man um chad any final comments for you from you no again it's uh always enjoyable to talk with you guys um always appreciate the invite back um so honestly um like truly like i i'm, I'm humbled that you guys keep asking me back so i, I really appreciate that um, and enjoy the conversation. It goes by really quickly. And I, I think that's uh, the best compliment I can give. So thank you. Right. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> who would have thought that an hour and a half went by? I, I had three topics to talk about. <laughs> that's how it normally goes every time. Like 
man. He, he said three topics, and I was like, this is three hours. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Our first couple of episodes we ever did, we had like three pages of notes because we didn't know like how this was going to go. We covered like four bullet points in the first episode. <laughs> We're like, okay, <laughs> oh, okay, game plan. That was still two hours long. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, cool. Thanks, Chad. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, this is, this is always good to talk about letting everybody know the new regs. I know, like I said, it was, I had quite a few requests. Uh, people wanted you back on. So let's do this again. Uh, we'll do it post season. Um, once you get your final numbers and we'll see who wins the, uh, the, uh, Ooh, you know, yeah, the we should contest. announce the, uh, once we get Chad back on, we should announce yeah, we'll the winners. Well, we, yeah. I guess we'll know the final number before then. That's true. That's we're true. just doing the, uh, the online reporting. We That's can, true. we can track that through the app. You can track that, but yeah, either way, well, let's For have sure. you on and let's, um, let's, uh, do like we did last year and kind of recap the season and your, your thoughts from that. So definitely happy to do it. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. And as always get outdoors and don't be terrible. 